You there, adventurer? Yes, you. Do you desire knowledge of immense worlds and arcane power? A codex of untold stories and lore? Or perhaps simply easy listening for your daily commute? Then feast your eyes, or more accurately, ears, upon Dungeonpedia. Shit's about to get nerdy in here. everyone, and welcome to Dungeonpedia, an exploration into the lore of Dungeons & Dragons. We're your hosts, Lou and Markel. Taylor Stanfield. And I'm Travis Beasley. So guys, you see it? I do. I like it. I can't not see it. Yeah, it kind of has this big, like, just mass in front of my face now. Yeah, we got a new... What? What is that even called? Our listeners cannot see it, though. Yeah, Correct. so I'm trying to find a way to describe it. What's that called? So I went ahead and bought a mic arm, a shock mount absorber... And then one of the really long, huge, like, double-filmed pop filters, which is what I'm currently using. And, like, it's very good quality. Like, it sounds good, and it does a good job of absorbing shock, but it looks ridiculous. Like, I sit across from Travis, and I'm just, like, looking up at him, and I can't see his face because it's, like, mostly obfuscated by the mic and the pop filter. Yeah. So my hope is for this to work, and then eventually you two can... Buy one as well. And then at some point, I might actually ask my father to aid me in putting up a beam across the ceiling so we can hang the mics off of that instead of on the table. Oh, that would be so professional looking. Fuck. That is my plan. But for now, we're going to test this setup out and see how it works. Which, so far, I think it's doing all right. I'm just yeah, I, I like it. Uh, we did a quick test for, of the sound, and it sounds really good. Oh, God. Uh, the pop filter is aptly named Dragon Pad, which I like. It oh. is a Dragon Pad pop filter. Uh, not a sponsor. Wouldn't mind, but not a sponsor. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, DM Travis with that setup, though. Oh <laughs> Looking fucking ridiculous while you're trying to, like, have this emotional moment or something like that. Or, like... <laughs> You just look up and look me in the eye and say, yeah, your character's fucking dead, but you've got that. Roll for initiative, but you can't see his, his, his game face. I just have to, like, slowly peer around the mic. Yeah. That's... You die. Lewin, I need you to make a dexterity saving throw. Yeah. But yeah, so new setup. Not my character, Lewin. Yes. Yeah, no, I don't know what your character's doing, but... Loon has to make a dexterity saving throw. You don't know what my character's name is, but I do. Oh, yeah. I should probably figure that out. I'll worry about that later. Figure that out? You mean ask me or wait for me to tell you? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, this week, I have decided to talk about the city or town of Waterdeep. This was actually suggested to us by one of our coworkers, Jacob. He's a very big fan of D&D as well, and we were talking about it, and he said, you should do an episode on Waterdeep. We haven't for- forayed into a location so much. No, we haven't. This will be interesting. let me tell you, it was really hard to figure out how I was going to do this because of the fact that it's a town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what right. I... Right, so it's a little bit different than, like, doing a clear-cut, like... Monster. Lo- a monster or the life of a character. Right, because I had to figure out, am I going to talk about its past, how it was made how it's currently ran government-wise or what have you. So I decided to 
Go ahead, and this is going to be about, like, the area that Waterdeep is in, and it's pre-Waterdeep times. Okay. So this is Waterdeep Part 1 before Waterdeep. Correct. (laughs) I will try to condense it down into our hour format. I think I've condensed it somewhat, but I'll have to do it on the go, as always. So what you're saying is, we're not going to get too Waterdeep into it. (sighs) You know what? I... I actually have to give you props for that one, though. Like, I don't. I was really proud of that no, one, No, I'm going to say that was really good. No. No, that oh. was good. Thank you, Travis. Vote on Twitter. Does Lewin suck? <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. No no poll needed. I'm going to go on there with like my personal Twitter account and vote for yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would not doubt that. So, little um, spoiler warning... I don't think I'm going to get into anything too spoilery when it comes to people are currently doing campaigns for, like, the Dragon Heist and the Tomb of Annihilation. Right. And stuff like that. But just in case, there could be some spoilers to the town towards the end of this episode. Like, to do with the history Like, to do with the history. I don't know how DMs are going to run their (laughs) campaigns, obviously. Right. So, just a warning, there could be some spoilers towards the end of this And if so, I apologize, but I have no way of getting rid of those. And also, if you're if you're running a water deep campaign and you don't want spoilers, now would probably be the time to switch off the episode. Also correct. Also, there are a lot of names that are very hard to pronounce, and a lot of names that will be thrown out that I don't have enough time to go into who they are or what their big significance is. So I'm just going to be talking about them in this particular time of Waterdeep, and that's about it. So I apologize for anyone that wants to know more, but you can look up the names later. Or we might do an episode on them later. Right, or we might do an episode later. But this is me just trying to cover pre-Waterdeep with the names that, like, came up and so on and so forth. Right. So with that, let's go ahead and get into it. Dive right in. Dive right in. High five, that was... I yeah. still think Lewin's was better, no, honestly, no. but that's fine. That's I mean, fair, that's fair. <clears throat> I would say that it, it stemmed from mine, like I was walking so you could run, but we were both no. just kind of walking. Yeah. Damn. Actually. So, Waterdeep is a part of the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. Uh, actually, little tidbit, I was wanted to go into the Forgotten Realms setting. It was written by Ed Greenwood in 1967. Or around that time. Obviously, this was before Dungeons and Dragons and everything. So he actually wrote it as a place for his childhood stories. Oh. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's like goals. It's pretty impressive. Like, he wrote this entire thing for his childhood stories. And it was based on the notion of a multiverse of, like, parallel worlds. So the Forgotten Realms is like a multiverse parallel universe of Earth. Okay. Yeah. So kind of roughly the, basically what the idea of the different multiverses of D&D, I guess, kind of evolves from that. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I mean, I That's would say that That's kind sense. of about it. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. He originally started releasing articles in the Dragon Magazine. I've talked about the Dragon Magazine a little bit before. Yeah. One yeah, of so the I, that was Dungeons the, yeah. & Dragons official magazines that came out when it was in its early on stages. And the first actual Realms product was released in 1987. 
He started a campaign using the Forgotten Realms setting when he got into D&D, which was right around the time that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons came out. Okay. Is when he started getting like heavily into the role play. There's a lot of a lot of pre stuff here. We're going pre Waterdeep. We're going pre Dungeons and Dragons. This is a pre episode, <laughs> which doesn't make sense now that I say that. Either way, <laughs> uh, so when he started playing, he actually used the Forgotten Realms as his campaign setting. That's really cool. So like he That's... was doing a homebrew campaign setting, right? And his campaign setting started off in the city of Waterdeep. That's oh. so, I gotta stop and just say, though, that's so goals, is to write a campaign setting for Dungeons & Dragons based on what was meant to be the setting where, like, your childhood, like, childhood adventure stories took place. Like, that's a, that's incredible. Between it, him and the guy who uh, wrote the Eberron, like... Oh, man. It's impressive where these campaign settings come from. It really is. It's amazing. So, I used two different books for the information I have. One of them is the actual Forgotten Realms campaign setting book from 1987, and the other one is called The City of Splendors Waterdeep. This was actually written in 2005 and released for 3.5, but it covered the massive prehistory of Waterdeep. Oh, wow. That's where a lot of the information comes from. I took a few things that I'll talk about from the Forgotten Realms campaign setting first, and then we'll go into the prehistory of that. Okay. So, Waterdeep sits on the land of Faerun, and is the most important and influential city in the north part of Faerun. Okay. It's just known as the north. It's considered part of the heartlands of the realms. I'll be honest, didn't look into that too much. Don't really know what else is considered part of the heartlands, but it's a pretty, it's a major city. I mean, I assume that since it's the first city that took place, that he basically made, that it's going to be important. Yeah. It's so powerful, in fact, that the roads leading to it are paved and very well patrolled. Okay, so this is like your major capital city kind of thing. Right. It's just amazing. It's a hub for trading from the lands to the north, which are very mineral rich. The merchant kingdoms of, I'm going to say this is pronounced Om. It's just A-M-N. That sounds about right. That sounds right. And Kalimshin, which are to the south. And then the kingdoms of the inner sea to the east and... The Sea Kingdoms to the West all use Waterdeep as a trading hub for, like, everything. That's very interesting because I actually, I knew nothing about Waterdeep, like, going into this, but I had seen it referenced, like, the the idea of it, like, you know, uh, someone would mention Waterdeep, but, like, you never actually go to Waterdeep. So in my mind, I thought it was going to be, like, a wet shithole. <laughs> If I'm being if I'm being honest, like no, I actually thought so too. Like I was like, what could there really be for a town called Waterdeep? Turns out a lot. Like it sounds like the name that you would give a wet shitty town. It does a little bit. Like it has, and I'll get into this a little bit more later. But it has its own like layer of underdark. Whoa! Like underneath it, it is insane. That's pretty fucking cool. I saw the the interest levels in Taylor's face just like spike. <laughs> what? Uh, there are some drow involved in this as well. Sweet. So you can look forward to that. Hell yeah. Um, speaking of, it was named for the natural harbor that's there because it's a very like deep harbor. Oh, so clearly, okay. it's a port town. 
Okay. It's on what is known as the Sword Coast, and its population more than 100,000 people. That's a lot of That's people. That's a lot of people. For a, for a medieval fantasy style. To be exact, from the City of Splendors book, it has 132,661 people. So close. I know. That's what I said. I heard you say the word 60 and I got excited and then it didn't happen. There is a singular mountain that it kind of like lies in the shadows of. I say that with air quotes because clearly it's not always in the shadows. But right. You you know the, the expression. The, term, the expression. And it is called Mount Waterdeep. Woo! Creatively <laughs> named. Right. It's amazing. For two millennia prior to it being Waterdeep, it was used as a trading, well, not a trading post, but for trade activities between the northern and southern tribesmen and merchants that were there way, way, way before. Before two it was Waterdeep. millennia. Oh. Oh, that is way before. Two yeah. millennia. Yeah. Um, it became an actual city in around 1032 DR. Dale Reckoning. Which is the Dale Reckoning. Uh, Taylor covered that. There was a wizard named, oh man, I have been practicing this dude's name. Agaron? A-H-G-H-A-I-R-O-N. I absorb none of that. Agaron? 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 A guy? A just guy? A guy? I'm gonna a go. Aaron? A Aaron? <laughs> I just, oh, no. I don't, the moment you started spelling that, for some reason my brain just disengaged no, it, and I realized I didn't absorb any of that. No, I'm sure that happened to a lot of people when it comes to spelling of these names because they're weird. In any case, I'm just Aganim? gonna pronounce it a gay Ron. Okay. okay. Because that's what I came up in my mind. He was considered the, not the first Lord of Waterdeep. But kind of the first Lord of Waterdeep. It's strange. I've got more information on that. Okay. It's yeah, it's kind of weird how the lords work in Waterdeep. It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of strange. There was a point in time where there were guilds made and guilds were established. And then there was a massive thing called the Guild Wars, where all the guild masters tried to take over the city because all of the lords of Waterdeep mysteriously died. Hmm. So that's what that video game is about. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, yeah. So, starting from the very early history, and very early, I mean negative 8500 to negative 1100 DR. Cool. Okay. <clears throat> uh, the first known settlement in this area was known as Aelin <sighs> Thaldar. That sounds like the name of a person, but go on. It does. It was the capital city of a place called Ilfarn. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of history like written about the town itself, except that in negative 1100, it was raised by the High Elven Magic. And I don't actually understand the word, the phrasing here. It was by the order of the... of Ilfarn's... It said coronal, C-O-R-O-N-A-L. I tried to look it up, but the definitions of it didn't make sense. So I'm going to say this is probably just like the leader of Illifarn. He basically initiated a retreat to Evermeet, and I guess when they retreated, they burned the city down. Oh, great. And there was virtually nothing left that indicated there was even an elf city in the area. 
Oh, wow. Also, I would venture to say that you're correct because coronal makes me think like a sort of adjective type form of like someone who's been coronated, like a a ruler is. So that to me would make sense. That's kind of where I was thinking, but not sure. word of coronate. Yeah, so for seven millennia, this town existed, and then it was burned to the ground, and virtually nothing was left. Great. Cool. Yeah, it was so strange. More traffic came to the area in negative 1088, where there was, like, an annual trade between southern merchants and, like, early barbaric tribes. Mm-hmm. Kind of brought more traffic to the area. So it was basically just a trading post? Right, or I guess back to the area because once it was raised there was nothing going on right in the middle of all this there was a dwarf named Malair who discovered a vein of mithril beneath the mountain that was there oh, what's like, currently known as mount waterdeep that's that good shit that is that good shit he later became known as king Malair the first because he sent word back to all of his family and his kindred about the mithril and anyone that answered it and moved there, they all became known as the clan of Malerkin. Wow. Malerkin. That was hard. Uh, they became known as the clan of Malerkin. 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 That doesn't sound good. Um, it makes it sound Gaelic. It does. A lot of them were traders, artisans, explorers, you know, the like. The dwarves are. Yeah. They actually drove off a lot of the Underdark Predators that were in the mines to mine it. Oh, wow. So, like, they didn't just go and had an easy time. They went and fought all of these Underdark creatures and, like, pushed them back and took over the underlayer of the mountain. The Underdark of the mountain, basically. It became known as the Underhalls of Malerbode. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so so much of this is like just a you hear a random tidbit or like a name get thrown out and you remember seeing it somewhere else and you're like oh that's what that is so that's what that means well then maybe you'll know some of the names later i doubt it Malayerbode. Malayerbode. yes i know i was like that's that sounds like you're saying my layer abode <laughs> so it's just redundant <laughs> as fuck i mean it's just the dude's name with bode at the end bode. of it it's his bode, bode. that's an outdated <laughs> meme <laughs> Yeah, so I did that. I actually don't know it. Oh, my. Oh, boy. So they eventually started to grow and expanded their borders to include the Undermountain, which was kind of close to the uh, Elin Theldor, because this was still, like, this was happening as that town still existed. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was while it existed. So the leaders grew concerned about this and struck a deal with the dwarves. They said, hey, in exchange for some of the mithril ore that you guys find... RLs will craft this high magic effect that prevents the plateau from ever collapsing or settling. So they can mine it as much as they want without fear of it collapsing in on them. That sounds like a great fucking deal. Yeah, Yeah. no, they took it. And that magic effect is actually still in effect to this day. Wow. Wow. There are some bits that have collapsed over the many, many centuries, but the plateau itself is still standing and hasn't collapsed in on itself, no matter how much has happened. So you could have, like, Swiss cheese around it, but the plateau itself is still sturdy. Would still be standing. That's great. In negative 750 DR, what happens there? I don't know. You're what, the one telling us. What does happen there? Uh, an order of powerful Netherese mages. Netherese mages? Netherese mages. 
Uh, Netheries were a group of just very dark-haired, fair-skinned humans. Okay. Yeah, I actually had to figure that out because it bugged me. I was like, what the fuck is a Netherese? Yeah, that sounds like it would be the, the adjective form of, like, describing the, like, a race of people or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Netherese mages. Yep. They came in and claimed a section of the rock and mountain amid Malerbode. Hmm. Um, this became known as the Sargoth Enclave. And was actually, like, the mages of the Netherese cast spells and seals against dwarf intrusion. Huh. Because they kind of moved in on the Malerkin's turf. Yeah. And didn't say anything. So they were like, we're going to move here and now you can't enter. Ooh. I, I could say a lot of things about that, but I won't. But that's... Yeah. Just really shitty. That's so it's like Lewin moving into our nerd room and saying, okay, you can't come in here now. Yeah, right? <laughs> Surprisingly enough, they actually lived side by side like that for four centuries. I mean, Malerbode wasn't happy about it. That's like the neighbor you hate, but you can't do anything it, That's about. exactly what it was. They hated them, but they couldn't do anything, so they just kind of shrugged and dealt with it as it's much like as they could. Looking over the fence like, oh, I hate that guy. I hate that guy and he has perfectly manicured bushes. Ugh. This was until negative 339, where there was a collapse of the weave, which I guess the weave was a magic energy or spell right. that protected the flying cities of Netheril, which is where the Netherese came from. Mm-hmm. When the this weave collapsed, it caused all the magical support on the ceilings that the Sargoth Enclave had to vanish, and more than two-thirds of the Enclave collapsed in on itself. Oh, that's unpleasant. There were some survivors, but the ones that survived got twisted into these magically potent undead that became known as the Skulls of Skullport that also still exist today in this area of Mount Waterdeep. Ah, so potential enemies. Potential enemies. The drow show up in negative 677. Yes. From the city of Carso Luthil. Uh-huh. That's uh, an elven name for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They began, they showed up and began these incursions against the Malerbode. Basically, the drow were like, hey, we want this. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like what we know about drow. Yeah, pretty much. This lasted for a long time. Actually, up until about 34 DR. Oh, Wow. They, about this time, they finally mustered this massive army and, like, swarmed against the dwarves and wound up killing King the IV at this point. Oh. After their king died, the dwarves were forced to retreat into the lower levels of the Underhalls. And then in 211 DR, these dwarves finally just vanished from existence. Oh. Or did they? They did. Oh. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they actually don't show back up. Conspiracy theory. I mean... Conspiracy theory. Possible thing that you could use. Yeah, exactly. They could could come back, like, uh, you know, different. Like, they would have maybe evolved different physiology from being sent deep underground. That would be really interesting. Yeah. So, when the drought took over, they renamed this place Kior Lamption. Uh-huh. Yeah. Your Lamption. I just, I gotta say, I love the face that, like, every, it's different for every person, but every person makes a face right before they make a go at pronouncing something that they're not sure how to pronounce, and I've seen it, like, 
15 times this episode. And I You're going to see it a lot more because there's a lot of names that are very hard to pronounce. Secure Lampshin. Secure or nope. Kior Lampshin. Kior Lampshin. Kior Lampshin. Quiche Lampshade. Got it. Quiche Lampshade. In 168, a wizard of unknown ancestry named Hollister Blackcoat came in and built a tower and fortified ramparts in the middle of the Deepwater Plateau. He convinced all the local tribes and everything that were around at this time that kind of, you know, unmentioned because they're just like random, random tribes. Yeah, right. He convinced all of them to leave him and his apprentices alone and he retreated into a stronghold. Oh, like he built it, told them and convinced them to like, don't bother them. And then he retreated into it. That sounds exactly like someone you should bother because like, oh, hey, guys, I know I built this like fortress and I'm a wizard. But, like, I'm just going to go in there and not come out. Don't worry about it. Like, he's definitely... He's definitely, like, doing something What? There. You think he's up to something? No, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, no. He used the stronghold to secretly explore the underhalls and claim various parts of it for himself. Yeah, naturally. Like, like you do. Yeah. Between 171 and 308, he held what was known as Hollister's Hunts. Where he would, him and his apprentices would go and exterminate large pockets of Drow and Duragar to claim the Underhalls, basically. Wow, that's cool. I mean, that that's 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 something. Yep, he ruled the Underhalls by three o nine. So he moved in in one sixty eight, and by three o nine dr he ruled the Underhalls. It took him a while. Yeah, yeah, but he did it uh, at about. 307 DR, his apprentices left the hold and went to establish their own holdings and kind of left the tower and the surface of the hold to just kind of decay and fall into ruin. Like, they were like, okay, we've kind of had enough. You have the underhalls. We're going to go somewhere else. Hmm. And then it all, like, the surface area just kind of went into ruin. Uh, Tribes in the area called it a cursed land and naturally avoided it. Right. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, Black Cloak Hold, as it became known, slowly went into like a steady decline after that, and the tribes that were around it split and fragmented into warring tribes. So this hold helped, kind of. At the very least, it helped shape the uh, area around it. Right. That's basically all it was good for. And, of course, he took over the underhalls and didn't care about the surface at that point. Right. So in 482... There was a Tethyrian warlord, <laughs> oh god, named Olberog Bloodhand. Nice. That one's not too bad. That doesn't seem too bad to pronounce. No, that one I actually also practiced a lot whenever I was doing the research. I actually like the name Olberog. I like the name Bloodhand. Bloodhand is also pretty cool. <laughs> Chris, you do. He swooped in and conquered the now scattered tribes and reunited them back into a single tribe within, like, one generation. That's impressive. Yeah. He had some high-ass charisma, apparently. Motherfucker. Must be a goddamn bard or something. Or he just had really big muscles. Or he just had really big muscles. He was a warlord. He had big muscles. What if he had big muscles and high charisma? <clears throat> you don't know. I mean, it sounds like he did. Yeah, they're not, they're the not, ladies. They're not mutually the exclusive. Ladies. So... So these settlements that were formed with this tribe uniting formed along the Sword Coast and were slowly started to be visited annually by ships 
for the timber that these tribes would harvest from the surrounding lands. So here we see the trade slowly starting to pop up from the continents that are across the way. So it's becoming a trading <clears throat> hub again. Right. Ships would come in, they get the timber and whatnot, so it kind of helped the whole economy to bustle in and poof, we have more trade. It's back to a decent level of living. There were... Okay, so there's a lot of names here. In 523, there were humans of Delimbiran, Delimbiran, the doors of Dardath, the elves of our deep forest, the gnomes of Doblundi, and displaced halflings that were from Meritan. They all kind of came together and founded the tri-crowned kingdom of Falorm. Hmm. And this was to help fight against the rising power of orc hordes that were in the north. So as this was all bustling, the orc hordes of the north were becoming stronger and... Wanting to take over more things. Pretty much, as orcs naturally do. Bloodhand refused the invitation to join the tri-crowned kingdom, to join Falorm, basically. But his son later on joined it. He saw that there was better opportunity than being by themselves. Right. So he had good strength <clears throat> and good charisma, but maybe not great intelligence. Probably. And the, or very little wisdom. That's the trade-off, yeah. The kingdom didn't last terribly long. Oh, oh never mind. Never mind. It lasted it's... until 615, so from 523 to 615. Ooh, not even 100 years. And the funniest part is, is how it fell. It fell from goblinoid attack. Hey, what fucking goblins? Watch out! They'll get you. I I guess. I so, guess. Hey, I mean, it's always the it's like the ones you don't expect. That's that's true. Like they're all worried about like the big green guys. They didn't think about the little green guys. Yeah. So these goblinoid attacks came in, destroyed this newfound Falorm kingdom, kind of weakened everything around it. And then finally, in 882, there was a warrior named Nemor the Reaver. Him and his followers found Bloodhand Hold and seized it for themselves. That's it was in a weakened state. There wasn't much that could happen. There wasn't much that happened after the goblin attacks. So they came in and were like, yeah, this is ours. They built a log palisade. Palisade? Palisade. Palisade? Is how that's pronounced. Okay. I think... Sure. And a wooden fortress at the northern end of the settlement. So they took it over, realized that, yeah, there's a lot of good timber here. We're going to continue that trade. Right. And then they built their wooden fortress. Nemours Hold had a lot of shit happen to it. What happened? So much that I'll get to after our break. No! That's genuine anguish, actually. Yeah. I timed that kind of perfectly. The fact that you specifically mentioned that it was like all made out of wood several times makes me think that I have some idea of at least one thing that happened to it. Well, you're about to find out. Hey, everyone. Just gonna stop in here from the water deep real quick (laughs) and say thank you for continuing to listen to our episodes. This particular one might have some spoilers I mentioned at the beginning. If so, I apologize. If not, great. Yay! Um, don't forget to follow us on our Twitter and our newly formed Instagram. It's been going for about two weeks at this point, I think. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Give or take. Uh, they are both just at Dungeonpedia. Give us a follow. We post 
Or try to post good spoilers and memes and pictures. Well, I wouldn't say spoilers. They're more like teasers. 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 Yes, that's a, that's a good word. I meant teasers. And uh, Don't do spoilers. When we uh, when we record, you know, we go and post fun little uh, behind the scenes. Like yeah. Lou and searching for her lost dice. Or our cute little... Uh, cute Puppy. little Yeah, our, our, our uh, assistants. Our, 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 our assistant in the studio. Who is currently taking a nap because she works so hard. Mm, she does. Um, we also have a Tumblr at dungeonpedia.tumblr.com. Um, we post updates for our episodes and also going to start using it as more of a um, general platform. Um, reblogging like cool art and, you know, funny posts. So if you're an artist, maybe go give us a follow. We'll check out your stuff. And give you a little avenue to get that out there. Get that out there, yeah. I do love seeing a lot of the D&D art that's out there. Oh, so. I know. Beautiful. As an, as an artist myself, like, it makes me so happy to see all of the beautiful art. It's such a wonderful avenue for creativity. Like, I've been... Just, just, we're about to start a new campaign. I've just been making Pinterest boards no. for my new character. Oh and just the... Yeah. The art. The art. The art. All the art. All the art. We also have our email address, dungeonpedia.podcast at gmail.com. We accept uh, episode ideas, topics, um, advice, you know, any anything else pretty much you've got that you can't fit into... 255 characters? I think Are you that's talking it? about for Twitter or for Tumblr? Twitter. Uh, no, the, the, ask, the ask limit is more on Tumblr. Oh. oh. I don't know any of these numbers. Yeah, uh, Twitter gets used up pretty quickly, too, I found out. But I do know one thing. You can rate us and review us on iTunes. Yes. And also other places, but iTunes is the big one. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you listen to find podcasts. That is the fastest way to be notified when we release new episodes. Yep. Every Tuesday. If you can, a review would be awesome wherever you can. I know iTunes lets you. I don't really know about any of the other platforms, but I do know that iTunes lets you. See, I'm not really sure either because I don't use a whole lot of the other platforms that exist. And yeah. I know that iTunes is a very big one that... People, like, actually, like, go and look at. Right. Yeah. Remember to tell your friends and help us spread the word. Thank you so much for what you guys have been done, been doing so far. It blows my mind every time. Like this if you cry every time. Like, 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 like. <clears throat> um, big thank you to Alexander Nakarada for the use of our theme song, Blacksmith. I also cry every time I hear that. Me too. There's a lot of tears being shed here. Listen, it's, we're... It's beautiful. We're, let, let us... Let us... Let us. It's happy tears. Happy tears. I will let you guys do what you wish. We're, we're um, emotional people. Real quick, a little extra thank you to one of our friends at work who so surprisingly, just out of nowhere, gifted us a bunch of his PDF forms that he has of a lot of these sources. I haven't got to go through all of them yet because there's a lot, but this was his kind of, you go get it. Go get them. You go get them, as he put it, for us to... Get this information and have it readily available if we needed it from his sources that he had. So I want to thank him for that. That was just amazing and very surprising. Didn't expect it at all. The modern version of being handed like a thick stack of books. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Just in a tiny little thumb drive. So we could carry it home from work. Yeah. <laughs> thank you once again for listening. And without further ado, back to the podcast. Waterdeep.
All right. So, Nemours hold. Yes, tell me. Uh, Lewin alluded to it being wooden. Uh, I'm that does that comes into play. That does come into play at a certain point. The first major thing that happened was in 18, not 18. Wow. In 887. Jumping ahead. I have, yeah, a lot. Southern pirates attacked Nemours hold, but they were driven back three times by Nemours followers. His armies, but I guess it wasn't big enough to be considered an army. Right. So his forces. Three times. That's fucking impressive. Followers actually, to me, reads in a way that makes it sound less like, makes it sound more like a cult. Yeah, that's exactly what, that's I, was what I was thinking. And I'm a little worried that it might have been a cult, but you know, it, whatever. Whatever. It's just a bunch of people living in a wooden fortress. It, it's fine. It's fine. So the second thing is after being driven out from the Deseran Vale by attacks by demons, the Tetherian Bull Elk tribe attacked the hold and set it on fire. Yep, there it is. I yep, knew it. There it is. Even with this, Nemours men still won and drove the tribe back and rebuilt the fort before the next winter. Yeah, they were cultists. They were definitely cultists. Yeah, that kind of determination <laughs> it can only be found in people who are, like, blindly stupid and, and want to follow someone who's crazy. I wanted to add a personal aside. Okay. Well, well I, I'm just saying, people in my hometown have been destroyed by disasters before, and yet we keep building the same spot. I no. mean... Yep. No, you're That's right. Fair. God damn it. We keep doing it, and I don't know why. Well, we do. Because moving is expensive. True. Yeah, but when you don't have a house or shit to move, it's really not that bad. You want to talk about it, Travis? No. You need a hug? No. Oh. So after this community, like, drove back all of these invaders, put out a fire, rebuilt the fire. Rebuilt, Re- rebuilt the fire? <laughs> rebuilt the fire. Rebuilt the fort. They did start the fire. Um... <laughs> The ship captains that would come to this fortress started actually calling it the Town of Waterdeep. This is the first time you ever hear the official name Waterdeep as the town. So Nemo and his followers, since it does sound like it's kind of a cult, are the reason that this place became known as the Town of Waterdeep. So a cult started it. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Not even kind of. Yeah, I no, mean to be fair, completely. we don't we don't explicitly know if they're a cult, but they're a cult. But, but they sound like a cult. We're just assuming it was a cult now. So in 927, there was a shaman of the orc tribe known as the or I'm sorry of the orc tribe from the Sword Mountain, which I'm not actually sure exactly where the Sword Mountain is, but it's not terribly far from the, the Sword, Sword Coast. Coast. The Sword Coast. Yeah, you would. I mean, I would assume. Yeah, uh, the shaman's name was Wund. Wund. W U N D. Wund. 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 You know, I like it. It's short and to the point. It doesn't have, like, ten syllables. Very orcish. Yeah. Yeah, quite orcish. So he kind of, like, rose up from nowhere and became a pretty powerful shaman. He prophesied that on the eve of the Feast of the Moon, blood-red thunderclouds would engulf the Sword Mountain and just cause devastation. Oh. And it was true. Oh. On the eve of the Feast of the Moon, it rained blood for three days. Whoa. Oh my god. It rained blood. What is Why? This? What is I this? have no idea. 
What is the Feast of the Moon? I'm also not sure. I that didn't... sounds like a werewolf holiday. I was going to say it just sounds like a pagan holiday. But yeah. like, I mean, potentially, be but yeah. Honest that like uh, most of D&D is kind of like a pagan, a holiday. pagan stuff. Yeah. That really does sound like a werewolf holiday, though. Um, the Feast of the Moon, or known as Moonfest, was an annual festival in the calendar of Harptus, occurring between the final night of Uktar and the first day of Nidal. Okay, Moonfest sounds like a pagan convention. <laughs> it was the last great festival of the calendar year. Okay. So, New Year's Eve. Okay. Okay. Basically is what so, it sounds like. indulgence and alcohol and blood rain. And actually, reading a little <laughs> bit further, it actually is following along the lines of Samhain. Okay. It, the day traditionally marked the onset of winter, which is kind of what Samhain is. It's okay. the death of old life. Pretty much. And them celebrating the harvest season ending and then going into the darker, colder months is basically what Samhain is. And the best way to ring in the winter is with blood rain. Exactly. Yeah. So it rained blood for three days. I'm guessing that put a damper on the festivities. Uh, yeah. It, this caused a great stench of rot and decay. As it would, yeah. Because oh. it's blood. Everything is soaked in blood. That reminds me. Oh, that reminds me of something. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. I'm um, not even like. I'm not even like bad about blood, but just imagining it pouring from the skies and like getting it's in everything. Bad. I was gonna it's say, gross. and like picturing like you just standing there and suddenly it's like those clouds look awfully red, and then it starts pouring blood, and all you can smell is iron. Ugh. You just you step outside and it's just like, and it's oh. thick. Like blood's oh. not thin; it's thick. Especially if it's not like cold. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So naturally, this caused just all manners of like plagues that swept through this region. That's probably very unhygienic, and there was also probably a lot of like, like I know I couldn't go outside smelling that without just like projectile vomit. Just bleh. yeah. Ugh. Well, many, including every single tribal chieftain, died by a plague known as the White Hand of Utris. Ooh. That's a very threatening name of a yeah. plague. I'm not sure what that is. Like, why don't why aren't our diseases called stuff like that? Like Ebola whom? <laughs> the white plague of uterus. The white plague of uterus. The white hand white hand? The white hand. The white hand. Or it's my like, bad. Oh yeah, my, my grandpa's got the white hand and it's like that sounds terrible. And I'm sorry, it's not uterus, it's Yurtris. I apparently mistyped the R. So it's Yurtris. And Yurtris is the orc god of death and disease. Okay. Oh. So they basically said... That sounded familiar, yeah. Orc's death god hand came down and just, like, swept across. Okay. Bitch slapped everybody. He just bitch slapped everybody. <laughs> so after this, Wand formed the Order of the Brotherhood. Okay. And then this order was part of the Scarlet Scourge. So aptly named because they survived right the blood this. the blood rain yeah so he basically took the surviving members of all the orc tribes united them into the scarlet scourge as one tribe he crowned Yuruf the king of this newly formed tribe oh, okay so he wasn't out out for any power right he formed it and said okay this is uh, Yuruf was the greatest orc warrior that they had. Aww. So he got king. 
Find me the orc with the biggest muscles. Correct. Pretty much. They kind of like shifted around the sword mountains and slowly started to drive out gangs of trolls. Nice. From the sword mountains to kind of like take over because their lands were plagued. I wish we could do that on the internet. <laughs> Me too. So these gangs of trolls, mm -hmm. these gangs started attacking Waterdeep. Your use of the word gangs is so evocative yeah. to me. Gangs. Gangs. These troll gangs, they started being pushed out of their homes, so they started to attack Waterdeep. As you uh. do when you are pushed out of your home. <laughs> right. Nimor led his forces against the trolls, naturally, and this became known as the First Troll War. Ah. <laughs> Just... The name is so good to me. Just like, because I know I'm, I'm, I'm informed by me thinking of like internet trolls, but just like the troll wars. The troll like. wars. I'm a survivor of the troll wars. <laughs> Shut up, Greg. I'm a veteran of the troll wars. You don't understand. You didn't see what I saw. And everyone just looks at him and just like, anyway. So the potluck tomorrow. So. <laughs> it's okay. He's just lost his mind a little bit. He doesn't realize that he was way too young to participate in the troll wars. Well, I'm losing my mind. He's a little naive. It's fine. So then in 936, after they, after Waterdeep beat the trolls in the troll war, the armies of Euroth swept down the mountains and started attacking Waterdeep. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was pirates... And then another band of raiders that burned it down, and then trolls, and now, and now this orc tribe. I was hoping, I was so hoping that the orcs in Waterdeep could live in peace. Nope. These battles became known as the Orc Fastings War. They're not very good at they're naming, not creative no, at naming their wars. No, they're not. The orcs actually fared a lot better than everyone else. Oh. So, early orc victories at what became known as the Battle of Whirling Blades, the Battle of Sarkrag, and the Battle of Withered Fields drove Waterdeep's forces back to the gates of the Hold. Oh, no. So, Nemor was losing heavily against these. Like, they tried, and they just kept getting forced back. They lost and lost and lost. And it was looking very, very grim. However, the Duke of Kalendor performed what they call a timely feint. Feint, in this case, being like the deceptive right. blow. Yeah. Not, they fainted, but... <laughs> the timely fainting. The timely fainting. And this actually enabled Nemor's forces to break the orc siege during the Battle of Burning Cliffs. So, whatever... They didn't go into detail on exactly what this feint was... But the Duke of Kalendor aided tremendously with this move. And over the next four days, the army won four battles against the orcs. Wow. <laughs> they shattered the uh, Uroth armies, and King Uroth himself fell in the Battle of the Westwood. Ooh, that's a blow. Yeah, once your king dies, your moral goes down. Yeah. A lot. At least that's how it worked in, what was that, Medieval Total War? I think so. I think, I think so. If you killed the king, then the... Luna, no, Luna's no I'm idea. just over here shaking okay. my head. I will provide that since you can't see. Okay. Props to him, though, for actually, like, getting in there and, like, He was in the rough fighting. of it. Yeah! Unlike today, back then, their kings actually fought in the wars and didn't just sit behind a desk saying, Oh, no, we lost. What do we do? 
Yeah. Ooh. I mean, and to be fair, I think that also Ooh. might be a little bit of a cultural difference that you might find between like orcs and say like elves, lemons. Yeah. There's probably some difference there. Still, props to him. So, Neomor died of old age in the aftermath of the war. After Yurith fell, the rest of the armies scattered, mm -hmm. basically, As into nothing. Right. Well, I say nothing. They scattered into separate tribes, but they were nowhere near strong to... Yeah, because they weren't unified. Exactly. So, Neomor died of old age in the aftermath of it all. He survived throughout the wars, all of these wars. Wow. Dang. And his mantle of warlord was passed to his most accomplished general, Garl. Garl. <laughs> Garl. Garl. That sounds like a portmanteau of Garth and Carl. I'm not gonna lie, when I first read this, I thought that this was Garl Glittergold. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> oh, where shit. my brain went to. And that's I, not where my brain went. I got excited, but it's not. Oh, my brain went straight to a stupid portmanteau of two real names. Nope. So in 940, the orcs kind of got back together and planned to attack Waterdeep again, but they didn't even get a chance. Oh. They were faulted by a great gold worm. Wyrm? Worm. Worm. Worm? Yeah, the W-Y-R-M. Yeah, I have worm. always pronounced it worm, but I heard people pronounce it as wyrm, and I'm like, that doesn't seem right, but sure. Uh, yeah, it's still mm -hmm. worm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to say worm. Yeah, that's how thank, I've Thank you done for it. the uh, distinction, because you said worm, and my immediate thought was literally a giant gold glittering earthworm. And then I was yeah. like, wait, maybe it's the the fantasy, more draconic the type Drake of The Drake dragon yeah. type. Yeah, that's what it was. And he was known as Palorandusk. Palorandusk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so whatever he did, he kind of... Swooped in and was like, nope, and like defeated the army before they got a chance to attack Waterdeep. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck. So, not long after that, the trolls started raiding again. Oh. And this marked the second troll war. God damn it. For 12 years. Oh wow. my god. Waterdeep like fought the trolls for 12 years. Years. That's like the goths just like intermittently sacking Rome. Yeah, that's <laughs> for like a very long period of time. Exactly what it reminds me of the the goths just not giving goths, up. Gauls, Gauls, not goths. God, oh. who am I? See, I, I thought you know. said goths, and I was like, she did. No, there, there's a real. That was a real faction. And in my mind, I was like, but. goths. <laughs> the goths unite. Yes. Like no, it was the it was the Gauls, I'm pretty sure. I'm Who pretty am I? sure you're right, but Who am I? I don't recall we're not a history podcast, so No, we're not. No we're one not. can critique not it. real history. That's just anyway. what it reminds me of, is just like, you know, they're just kinda intermittently going and sacking Waterdeep. Yeah. Yeah. So this lasted for twelve years until in nine fifty two the human realms and all, like, the holdings in the north at this point that had formed and popped up united and helped end the war. Like, they all united and were like, all right, we're fucking tired of this. And they just went to town on some trolls. Fuck these trolls. Murdered them, basically. Um, they went through and destroyed several holdings of the trolls, and then they kind of just scattered. I guess they decided that they should maybe actually go in and help what was probably a very important, like, trade hub for them. Yeah. That yeah. was probably assisting their economy. They're like, yeah, we run a lot of shipments through Waterdeep. Maybe we should go help them out with that troll problem <laughs> they've been having for the past mm, 11 years. 
It was probably causing a lot of trade issues. That's true, yeah. So they probably all just got tired of it and were just like, all right, fuck it, we'll help. Jesus. God. Fine. <laughs> we have our own problems. We're running out of fine fine lumber here. <laughs> we need this to end. So two notable heroes came from the second Troll War. One of them was Agaron. Okay. Who was recognized as the premier wizard of the North. After the Ooh, Troll Wars. Fancy. And the second was Amular Caradun. That last name sounds very familiar. Who was a Tyrian knight. Tyran knight. Not Tyrian. A Tyran knight. <laughs> Agaron was placed in the position of official advisor of the Warlord of Waterdeep. The nice. very long title. Yes. Samular formed the Holy Order of Samular. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was a knighthood that was formed and is actually still active in Waterdeep today. Okay. It's a holy order formed of himself, but, you know, we're just going to ignore that. Apparently. Yeah. I'm sure they do good work and Fucking all, Fucking paladins. Fucking paladins. So it's worth to note, three wars in two decades. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Oh, God, yeah, those were, oh, shit. They won three wars in two decades. This caused Waterdeep to emerge as a preeminent power in the north. Now they're starting to grow even more right. from winning these wars. Granted, yeah. they had help, but who doesn't need yeah. help? Well, from and time now to time? they yeah. have this this like order of knights and also True. like this very powerful mm -hmm. wizard exactly. advising. So they're like they keep getting more and the people around them are re realizing exactly how important that port hub is. Yeah. I mean, and personally, I love Agaron. He is a beast. I have more information on him, and he is amazing. Oh, that's neat. I'm a fan of him. I think um, Taylor and I thought he sounded like a snob. Yeah. He's called the Premier Wizard. The Premier Wizard. He's actually not a snob. He's very honest and open with what he wants to do. Well, that's good. That's good. Honesty is the best policy. So over the course of the... War, it became the preeminent power. In 963, the construction of Castle Waterdeep began. So now we're getting a castle built. We're getting more official. Yay. Hell yeah. And then over the course of the next decade, the city's walls expanded around what used to be Hollister's Hold. And then high stone fortifications were built around it. The castle was completed in 974, and Waterdeep's first female warlord took up residence. Good. In the castle. Ooh. Her name was Lerun. Was this the warlord that What's-His-Nuts was advisor to? Agaron? Uh, he was the advisor to... Because you said he go? was an advisor to the warlord of Waterdeep, right? Right. He was the advisor to Garl at first, because Garl was still the warlord oh, after yeah. Nemor died. So when Garl died, Laroon, Laroon, sorry, took his place and then took up residence in the castle when it was finished. Um, she was actually a major factor in expanding and promoting the growth of Waterdeep. Halster's hold was eventually absorbed by the city, and then Agaron came in and cloaked it in wards to Ooh. make it, like... Invisible, basically. It was like, this doesn't exist anymore. That was in 1007 DR. Because that's that was a better idea than to just destroy it, I guess. Maybe. I mean, I really don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure why they decided to cloak it, but it actually came in handy later that they cloaked it instead of destroying it. And maybe it really was haunted, and they were like, we don't want to 
fuck with that. Let's just... Just cloak it and whatever. be done with it. Yeah. So in 1007, um, Ageron also had a mage tower for himself built. Okay. So he has his own residence now. He has his own tower that he can do his studies, his research, his advising. His wizard stuff. His wizard his stuff. Surgery. And in 1010, Laroon officially established the free city of Waterdeep. Yeah, made it official. So it becomes official. So important to note, anytime I say Wardhavian, I had to actually look it up. This is what people in Waterdeep are called. Instead of like Waterdeepians or something. Waterdavian. Waterdavian. Yeah. Waterdavian. Yeah. That sounds better than Waterdeepians. Yeah. (laughs) Just important to note because this starts popping up quite a bit. In 1024, a band of... Wardavians, Wardavian adventurers known as the Dawnbringer Company, decided to plunder the Yurith Sacred Crypt and were caught. Aww. They fled, but this enraged what was left of the Yurith, and they gathered the first Urk... Urk? <laughs> the first Orc Horde <laughs> in generations known as the Broken Bone Horde and set out to... Destroy Waterdeep. <laughs> Naturally. This is what I this is who I was thinking about earlier. They were stopped by a bronze dragon known as the Claws of the Coast before they could do any real harm. The Claws of the Coast, he was actually more of a fan of humans than he was dragons. Huh. So he preferred to protect them over anything else. Yeah, bronze bronze dragons are pretty neat, actually. So when the Broken Bone Horde was coming in, he saw that and it was like, no. And I just pictured him swooping down, like, eating half mm-hmm. of them. And again, just an, an orc horde trying to storm water deep <laughs> just gets fucked up by just a dragon. Just fucked up by a dragon. So they it's plotted, an interesting image. It really it's a is. great image. It is. They plotted revenge against Waterdeep for this defeat. Yeah, because it was Waterdeep's fault. Right, exactly. Not They're this orcs. random They're dragon. not that smart, so... And in 1026, they built up another orc horde mm-hmm. known as the Black Claw Horde. This time, they weren't stopped by the Claws of the Coast, and they encircled the plateau that Waterdeep sat on and repeatedly assaulted Waterdeep. Warlord Laroon died during one of the battles, and her title was passed to Raulor, who was the leader of the city's army. Important to note, Aegeron did not trust him at all. Ooh. He was not happy with this, but he couldn't do anything because that's just how it went. He was just advisor, not right. any real rulership. So this orc horde was actually very close to destroying Waterdeep. But an elite company of veterans traveled through Hollister's underhalls, beyond the walls, and actually attacked the orc encampment from behind. So oh. them cloaking it? actually wound up helping in this situation. Okay. They went under the walls, under the fighting, got behind them, and attacked them from behind, crippled them majorly, and allowed the armies to defeat the rest of them. That's pretty fucking cool. That's that's great. That's, that's genius. I like that. With this final defeat, it shattered the kingdom of Yurith completely, and they just went into warring tribes scattered about and never really showed back up as a major threat. In 1030, Rolord began to increase Waterdeep's army and its navy. He basically turned the city into a 
garrison and a military encampment. Ooh. I imagine a Gayron was not a big fan of that. Uh, no. He proclaimed it the Empire of the North in 1032. Oh. Oh. A not happy with this, defied him, transformed his blade into a viper. The viper bit Rowlord, and Rowlord died at Agaron's feet. Oh my. And this is when Agaron finally said, you know what? I'm going to take over now. And he took power of Waterdeep. And he became known as the first lord of Waterdeep. This okay. is why I said he was known as the first lord, but they had warlords prior. Okay, okay. so now he's not a warlord, he's just the he's lord. He's just the lord. It seems like he's trying to take it away from a military direction a little bit. Exactly, and that's exactly what he did. He declared that wisdom would rule the city better instead of armed might. So with this... I like it. He went yeah, through and assembled a group of lords... That were drawn from all walks of life. It wasn't just nobles. It was random people that he picked. He enchanted robes, capes, and masks for them Ooh. that disguised every aspect of their person. Ooh. So when they appeared in front of people, they wore these masks and these capes and these robes. It disguised their voice, their body shape, their face. They all looked the exact same. So no one knew who the lords actually were. That's really fucking cool. That's that's great. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this. Guy. I like that. They can't be bought. They can't be assassinated. Yeah, because then when they when they are off their official business, they just look like, you know, Greg from next door. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know why I keep going to Greg, but Greg from next door. Because Greg, Greg is from next door. Greg is a wonderful character that really stuck in your mind and you just you want to keep thinking about him some more. And he made these lords equal of authority to himself. So it's like a council, kind of. Yeah. yeah. And in the following years, Waterdeep prospered and grew extramentally in both size and, like, economic. In 1071, there was a noted adventurer by the name of Rinressa Shiard. Mm -hmm. She returned to Mount Waterdeep riding on a copper dragon <gasps> named Galisteros. I love it. She I didn't, like, attack or anything, but this prompted Agaron to create wards that would deter dragons from raiding the city. It ah. didn't stop dragons, but it deterred them away from the city. Because he looked and said, oh, someone's riding a dragon. I should probably help protect against this. And they had, like, a flashback to watching, like, the two other dragons in history that just, like, decimated an orc horde, and they're like, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Would suck if that happened to the city. All right, let's get started. First order of business, wards. Waterdeep was attacked again by the Black Boar tribe of Desaren. The attack ultimately failed. They killed three times their numbers before they failed, but they ultimately failed. A great plague swept across the Sword Coast. On top of that, there were increased attacks by Trollin Orc tribes in 1150 that killed a large number of the Watered Avians. Watered Avians. Watered Avians. <laughs> so hard to pronounce. And a, the secret cult of Talona appeared during this time as well. They kind of helped influence issues on the inside. But that cult was very quickly killed by agents of the lords. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, I forgot to say, the lords that Agaron picked became known as the secret lords of Waterdeep because no Their one knew who they were. Yeah. 
the largest orc horde in history laid siege to Waterdeep in 1235. Poor Waterdeep. It has oh, had real. so many issues. Um, Aegeron and his generals introduced griffins as flying steeds for the army. Hell yeah. That's fucking cool. Which enabled them to defeat this massive horde because they couldn't reach them. So I just picture all these wizards and crap just flying above, just throwing fireballs and shit down on top well, of them. While they're everybody. riding on a griffin. That's fucking yeah. sick. Aegeron finally died in 1256. Rip. Yeah. But uh, he was buried in his tower and that was then sealed by powerful wards so no one could like get in. In 1246, there was a small issue that happened. Yeah. A wizard and one of the hidden lords tried to seize power of the city for himself. He managed to kill three of the lords, but Aegeron managed to kill him in the process. Nice. After Aegeron died, all but four of the secret lords were secretly slain. That's not good. Secrets. Uh, they were slain by the guildmasters of Waterdeep. Oh. Who discovered their identities and secretly had them assassinated to try to take over. Oh, a little bit of conflict between the kind of political and economic powers. Interesting. Did, did it not go uh, over too well for them? Um, It lasted a while. This sparked the Guild Wars. Uh-huh. Where all the guild masters tried to take over the city. It ended when the last... Two of the lords actually appeared back in the court, and one of them, Lady Shalarn, struck the two guild masters that had taken control with lightning and fire. Nice. Hell yeah. So these two last remaining secret lords appeared again, and she was like, no, fuck this, and just killed them. This made a revival of the Lord's Rule, which brought peace and everything back to Waterdeep. Good. So these are, like, good rulers. And this is when we see the first open Lord of Waterdeep. Beran Silmeril was one of the two secret lords that came back. He unmasked himself after this and declared himself the first open Lord of Waterdeep. Lady Shalon remained masked and ruled with him, and they actually eventually became married. That's, that's lovely. That's, that's yeah. Nice um, romance. That's, that's nice. Yeah. Bayron died in 1308, and Shalarn immolated herself on his funeral pyre. Oh! Yeah. Romantic! Yeah. Uh, they had a daughter, Leston, who was the Hidden Lord herself, and after this happened, she became the Open Lord. Okay. Neat. Uh, her reign only lasted from 1308 to 1314. Her husband was murdered by an unknown sorcerer's hand, the exact quote there, unknown sorcerer's hand of force in 1308. Possible spoiler alert, this was actually a lich that was hired by the Thieves Guild of Waterdeep. Oh, man. To help. So this lich came in, killed him, and then Pegaron Paladinson. 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 Wow. Paladin son. Pergeron Paladin son. I wonder what his dad did. Who, surprisingly, was a paladin. What? Who'd have thought? And an officer of the city guard, who was actually made a hidden lord himself by Leston three years prior, became the open lord of Waterdeep. He is actually the current residing open lord of Waterdeep. Okay. And he rules in total honesty. Like, he is completely honest about everything. 
this is kind of where we get into the current state of Waterdeep. Okay. So he it's he is the ruler as the open lord. He picked several other secret lords mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of rebuild up and take his place. But that's where we sit and that's where I'm going to leave it because there's a lot more to like the current Waterdeep. Right. And we're running very much past what we probably should have. Yeah. I'm trying to shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, I mean, it was really interesting, and there's obviously going to be a part two because, goddamn. Yes, I will definitely do a part two of this because I am a very big fan. Waterdeep part two. Yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon, Coming soon. to theaters near you. Nope, not that. Nope, nope not theaters. Nope. Not theaters. Just nope. your regular podcast player. Yep. <laughs> But, like I said, that's kind of all I got. Um, that's all I wanted to cover. And now you really got more. You got more. I got more, but that's all I wanted to cover. Yeah, just to put a neat little neat little bow on it. Well, that's interesting. See, that's not to say that I wasn't, like, interested when you said you were doing Waterdeep. But, like, I kind of, you know. Right. Being a, being a city was kind of a... We haven't done a city yet. We right. haven't done a city, and that was really that was really interesting. It was very tricky too. But now that I kind of know what to do, future cities probably incoming. Yeah, Travis, well. send me your template. <laughs> We're gonna do somewhere else. You have access to the file in our drive. But that feels dirty. It feels dirty just looking at it myself. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Tumblr, wherever you prefer. Your social media. Your, your social media. Spread the word to your friends, if you will. We are so appreciative for what we've received so far. It blows our minds when we post an episode and look and people have already started listening to it. Thank you so much. Um, since this was a suggestion episode, in a manner speaking, even though it was suggested by someone we know... Um, you can send us your own suggestions uh, at our email address, dungeonpedia.podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Yes, we would. Uh, I'm going to say thank you again to Jacob for the topic, the topic idea because I had no idea what I was going to do until he mentioned it. So thank you to him. And thank you all once again for listening to Dungeonpedia. We will catch you next week with another exciting topic.